Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast, it's brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, we're back for yet another episode today, and I'm here with one of our few repeat guests, and what somebody who feels like a almost a longtime friend at this point, Colleen Bees. Thank you so much, Colleen, for making time for the Boca Podcast. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here again. Well, and we're going to get into really kind of a fresh topic today, which is nice. We've done almost 200 episodes, and it's a little bit of... Uh, I think there's endless conversation to be had about all kinds of topics, but I also want to make sure that we're we're always adding something of value to the conversation for our photo industry listeners. And uh, so coming up with something that's unique or at least has a unique spin is one of my biggest challenges. And you're bringing something really interesting to the table today. So we're going to get to that in just a second. We had you on the podcast back in episode number 138. And we actually talked about business financials, which seems like kind of a nerdy topic for it. But for those of you who are actually running photography businesses where you want to make some money, this is an episode you're going to want to check out. So go back to episode 138. If you just go to Boca, B-O-K-E-H podcast.com, uh, you can do a quick search for Colleen, C-O-L-L-E-N. And, um, and that episode number 138 will pop up. Uh, you can also link, listen to the episode there at Boca podcast, B-O-K-E-H podcast.com. You can see the show notes there. And it's a really, really great resource, but make sure you go back to that episode. You also get a chance to get to know Colleen a little bit uh, on a personal and a professional level. But I, I do want you, if you don't mind, Colleen, to catch us up a little bit on what's happened since the last time that you were on the podcast. Talk to us a little bit about both the personal side and the professional side. Yeah, absolutely. There's um, been a handful of things that have been happening. Two of the biggest things that are the most relevant or the most recent is this past weekend, I co-taught a workshop called the Second Shooter Workshop. Interesting. Where, okay. Yes, where we um, we found that there's really a lack of quality second shooters in this area, or at least in the area that we're in. And on top of there being a lack of it, there's a lack of primary photographers not really understanding what to what to expect from a quality second shooter. Mm. And so it leaves both parties a little bit disappointed at the end of the day. And so we held a workshop in order to teach people how to become second shooters and what to expect on both ends so that everyone can come away with something tangible at the end, something that is valuable for both parties and it's a win-win situation. So that was a, a very fun workshop. That was my first time teaching the workshop. The photographer that I was teaching it with, that was her second time. So it was a lot of fun uh, kind of going through and having a small group to go through that together. Now, okay, so I have a number of questions here. First of all, workshops seem to be a dime a dozen these days. I love that you guys actually are attacking, a, again, a fresh topic, something that can be a little bit difficult to do in the photo industry. It's something that needs to be addressed in one one form or another. And I'd be curious, though, from your perspective, your experience, and maybe some of the conversations you had at the at the uh, the workshop there, do you find that some photographers are actually pursuing the role of second shooter full-time? Or is this just something that photographers are doing part-time to make extra cash or to kind of grow into a full-time business eventually? What does that look like? 
I think it's a combination. I think there are a lot of people out there that do want to just second shoot as a full-time gig. They are working full-time. They already have a job. They just like to be in there. And Mm. maybe they want to second shoot for a couple of years before they can really build off and start their own business. There's a lot of artists out there that are are just more quiet. They don't want to go out there. They don't want to be in the spotlight. They're maybe not good at business or the customer service aspect. So to them, they just want to go out and shoot pretty pictures and they don't want to be held responsible for all the other things that happen on a wedding day. <laughs> yeah, because there is a lot of responsibility. That's interesting though. And we've talked about this on the podcast before. Uh, Joe Busink is, is a a photographer who has been around for a little while. As far as I know, he's still photographing weddings, but he had quite the name back in the day. And one of the things he talked about was he would actually hire a primary shooter so that he could be the so-called second shooter, not have the responsibility. um, And, you know, what can sometimes kind of be the monotony of having to shoot family formals and this kind of thing. And he could kind of focus on being the artist there on the wedding day. It was kind of an interesting take on being a photographer But I can see the benefit, certainly, of not having to take on the responsibility of a full-time gig. Maybe, as you said, wanting to be an artist in the background. It's certainly a wonderful opportunity for that. I can even see... I mean, I I genuinely enjoy helping another photographer out. I, I had the opportunity to second shoot a wedding it's been about a month or so ago, and it was a wonderful experience. It was with a, a good friend of mine, fortunately, but it was a wonderful experience. I love the idea because I know photography. I've shot weddings for over a decade. I know what a photographer is looking for. I can be I can be in tune with that photographer and kind of be at their their side, their beck and call, and learn how to be you know to look for that that nod or that glance, watch the client understand what they need and, and be there to take care of that before the primary photographer needs to. I think it's a really interesting and, and kind of an, a, a fun job, really. But there's also the possibility, especially from the primary photographer standpoint, that if they're going to look for a second shooter, especially if they don't know that person, they can run into some pretty big challenges, right? You get somebody that's inexperienced or who doesn't know the, the photo industry or wedding photography, doesn't know how to read the photographer and know exactly what they need. What would you say are some of the biggest challenges that were addressed there? I think that is the biggest thing is when you're working with someone new and you're not really sure. So that's why one of our touch points in the workshop was getting people trained up to know how to do this job as a second shooter and know how to do it well. So that way, when they do run into a situation where they're working with someone they've never worked with before, and maybe that primary shooter doesn't know what to expect of them, but as long as they know what to do and they know how to run their job, then they're covered and they're actually helping the primary photographer in so many ways that they're not even seeing or knowing until at the end of the day when they look at the images and go, oh my goodness, I didn't even know that you got these images. That's fantastic. Thank you for paying attention. Thank you for looking out for that. So it's more about helping and anticipating Mm. what is needed from the day without being given a lot of direction. The point is to know how to do your job without someone telling you exactly what to do and when to do it. Yeah, no, that's a great point. So I'm curious, is this a a workshop that will happen again? Is there information that you can share here on the air about that workshop? 
Yeah, I think so. We had a lot of interest immediately afterwards with a lot of folks asking if we were going to be hosting another workshop. And we are going to be putting another one on again. We just don't know when. Okay. We usually try to keep the class sizes pretty small. So anywhere from six to 12 people. So that way we can get a lot of questions asked and really help fine tune things, especially with people from different skill levels are going to have different questions versus others. So we have a a dedicated time for breakaway questions for the students to ask us questions. But you can just look on to my website. Um, It's just ColleenBees.com. I have a spot there for education, and that's where I'll be updating any information on workshops coming up in the future. Brilliant. Okay, so we'll make sure, of course, to link to your website in the show notes. It's C-O-L-L-E-N-B-I, B as in boy, B-I-E-S, Bees.com. And we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes, of course, along with your Instagram account. uh, We want to make sure we highlight it's Instagram.com slash Colleen Bees. And we'll link to that in the show notes as well. But thanks for sharing about that workshop. This is a really, it's an interesting point of conversation. And again, with so many workshops out there offering something, number one, that is of value because that's not necessarily always the case. Uh, but also something that is unique, I think is really wonderful. And and uh, so we'll have to make sure we point our listeners in the direction of that workshop for future reference. Something that you mentioned to me before we actually started recording is that you're going to be doing some traveling coming up. Will you share a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. In November, it's a big travel month for me. Um, first, I'll be heading down to Arizona for the Show United Photography Conference. And I'm really excited about that. It's my first year attending that. I'm excited to get to see you there in person, too. I know, right? We can finally meet face to face. (laughs) It's going to be lots of fun. For those of you who aren't aware, I know that we've talked about the conference on the show before, but I have to say that it is one of the best conferences in our industry, period. Uh, There's about, this year, I think they're going to be about 400 attendees. So it's not too big. And it honestly, it feels like going to summer camp every year where you're you're there with people who genuinely want to connect on a personal level, who want to have a relationship with you. And certainly there's education, there's an opportunity to learn and to grow on a professional level. But there's also a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to just say hey to somebody, give them a hug and actually feel like that person wants to have a legitimate conversation with you that goes beyond, hey, how's your business? You know, this kind of surface level stuff that you run into at some of the other bigger conferences. Uh, I just, it's so much fun. So I'm glad you're going to be there. For those of you listening in, we'll make sure to link link to uh, United Conference in the show notes. You've got to at least go to the site, take a look at, I think there's a highlight reel of the video there on the site. Take a look at that and uh, make sure that you plan on going next year. It's usually held in October or November in the fall. So you're going to want to get away to that next year. But anyway, I, I interrupted you calling. Please continue. I'm sorry. No, no, that's okay. It's a it's a wonderful experience. I'm really excited to go. So that's totally fine. The other thing that I'm going is so immediately after the Show United Conference, I'll be hopping on a plane and heading overseas to Laos. And that's um if you don't know where that is on a map, it's somewhere next to Vietnam. So it's right next to Vietnam, but in between Vietnam and Thailand is where that country is. And I'm a co-leader of a Tuesdays Together group, which is part of the Rising Tide Society. And a little while ago, um, I want to say like a year and a half ago, maybe longer, we had a summit where it was a free summit where everyone could donate and learn from educators. And the whole point was to fundraise money to help build a school for Pencils of Promise. And 
when we found out, so we ended up raising $50,000 to build this school with Pencils of Promise. And we found out earlier this year, the spring of this year is actually just uh, the last time when I was on the podcast with you, just around that time is when we found out that we were matched with a school in Laos. And Laos is actually my home country where my parents came from. Um, it holds a lot of painful memories. That's where mm. my family um, really immigrated from. My dad helped in the Vietnam War on the U.S. side. And after that happened, there was a lot of really bad things that happened. My parents buried four of my siblings in Laos. They wow. ran for their lives. My mom almost died. I mean, there was just a lot of painful memories that come with that, but that's mm. at the end of the day, that's my home. And that, you know, and the reality is that is one finger snap away from what my life could have been. And I could have been that very person that would have been benefiting from this school being built in Laos. And so I kind of petitioned um, Rising Tide Society and I just asked Natalie Frank the leader of Rising Heights Society and um, Kate Masters, who is head of community there. I th if I get the titles wrong, I apologize. But I asked them both, told them my story. You know, a, a few weeks later, they they called me up and they said, "Hey, you know, we actually have two seats to be boots on ground to visit the school, see what it's all about, and see the impact that we have made through our community of creatives." Wow. And we want you to take the seat and be our representative for Rising Heights Society. No way. That's so cool. Yes. So um, lots of tears, lots of crying. Oh, I can imagine. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's actually taken me a really long time to talk about it without tearing up. Mm, so it's, yeah. it's been really, really great. And so that's kind of, um, it's, and the thing is, it's not a glamorous trip. It's not about being pretty and having the best scenery and having everything be gorgeous and wonderful. It, it's so much more about the impact of what we're doing and, and how much it actually touches people's lives, you know, where they are and people back here. Yeah, I, I think you know, the word perspective comes to mind, and this has been something that um, has been on my mind pretty heavy for the last number of months, if not longer now. Um, just maintaining a certain level of perspective. When you think about, I mean, you talk about, first of all, the environment of war that your parents came out of and and the fact that they're having to deal. I mean, this this is an environment that we are not in first world American culture in 2018. We're not familiar with it, right? It's It's something out of the movies, and that's about the extent that most of us know of that environment. And so to be able to relate to that can be a little bit of a difficult thing, but at the least developing a certain awareness, a realization that what we have here uh, on so many levels, it's by no means perfect um, to say the least, but what we have here is way, way more than so many people do have. And if there is an opportunity to somehow give to those communities, whether locally or around the world, um, to take advantage of those opportunities. And I love that not only are you doing that very thing, but you're doing it at a level that is extremely, extremely personal. And, and I really can't thank you enough for being being willing to, to open up and share about that here. Is there any way that our listeners can get behind this this effort? Is there information on the Rising Tide Society website or, or elsewhere? Um, yes. If you go on to just the Rising Tide Society, you can type in Pencils of Promise or type in Laos. You'll be able to find it. And also, if you just want to hear a little bit more, like a more expanded version of my story, kind yeah. of my history and, and how all that came about, why it's important, um, you can also read more on my blog. I have a blog post. You can 
type it in there. It's ColleenBees.com backslash blog, and you'll be able to see it as, as one of my featured blogs, or you can just search for it too. Perfect. Um, using Laos or Pencils of Promise or whatnot. But it's definitely... It's a it's a not too long of a read, but it's got a lot of a lot of vulnerabilities in there yeah. from my side and a lot of personal things that I haven't really shared before. So Well, again, thank you for being willing to share that here. We'll make sure to link to both that information on the Rising Tide Society site as well as your blog post in the show notes. Again, for those of you listening in, if you're not taking advantage of all the resources that are at bocapodcast.com, it's not just a podcast episode, which I hope is of some value to you, but that the resources that go along with those episodes, the links, the pieces of information, the gear, uh, the websites, et cetera, that we share on these episodes, Haley is linking to this information under each post or under each episode there at Boca, B-O-K-E-H, podcast.com. So make sure you could take advantage of that. And we'll make sure to link to these sites uh, that you just referenced, Colleen, in the show notes as well. Thank you again for sharing. And I'm really, really excited for the opportunity that you're going to have coming up here soon. Hey, Boca Podcast listeners, since recording this episode, Colleen has actually already traveled to Laos and created an amazing recap over on her blog that you have to check out. We'll make sure to link to it in the show notes so you can learn all about the efforts of Rising Tide Society, Pencils of Promise, and the school they built to impact the community in Laos. I want to kind of switch gears just a bit, and um, it's something that I, I don't think I had the opportunity to ask you in the last episode, but what is one of the most impactful books that you've read, maybe as of late, and this could be on a, pro- a professional level or on a personal level? Absolutely. There, There's actually, two, so I'm going to cheat a little bit because there, there's two. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. I love it. Um, so of all time, um, the one that's been the most impactful is, is an older book. It's Quitter by John Acuff. And I'm sure okay. that there's a lot of people that have read this book before. But that is the first book that I read when I first started my business over eight years ago and kind of is what kept me motivated to keep working my nine to five, to keep refining my skill set before I really jumped in to feed in, right? And currently the most recent book and and it might be a little unfair to say this, but I'm not all the way done. I'm about 75% of the way through this book. <laughs> okay. It's Brene Brown's new book, Dare to Lead. Okay. And I'm just absolutely in love with it. I think leadership in, in whole is something that's very interesting and something that fascinates me. I, and I think a lot of it is because we didn't I don't come from a family of leaders. My dad was never really a leader. Hmm. Um, We didn't really do anything in that side, but yet there's something in me that kept wanting to lead. And so when I was in the military for 12 and a half years, I ended up choosing leadership positions over and over again and then being in leadership positions. And so it was very interesting to read this book, Dare to Lead, because it really brings around a lot of things that I've been personally focusing on in my life that I didn't really know where or why or how. So, so. I, I know this is kind of putting you on the spot, but I, when when it comes to the idea of leadership, or maybe even just that that word or phrase to lead, how would you define that? You've had the opportunity to be in a position of leadership in the military, and, and now you're reading kind of after the fact, the perspective of somebody else in regards to this idea of leadership, how would you define the notion of leadership or what makes a person a leader if you were to sum it up in a sentence or two? I think for me, if I were to say what makes someone a leader, it's not that they have the skill set to lead. It's that they see something, whatever it is, they see something and they see that there's not anything happening, right? And they choose Hmm. 
to instead of being a bystander, yeah. they choose to do something about it. Mm. Whether they have the authority to do it or the power to do it, they choose to do something about it because they feel they need to. They feel that calling. And I think that is what is part of what really makes a leader is doing it because you feel you are compelled to do it. Not that someone is telling you to lead, not that you want to lead for the spotlight, but you feel compelled to do it because it's the right thing to do and nobody else is stepping up. Yeah, I just wrote the phrase down, take action. That is something, you know, and, and maybe you can comment on this as well. There's there's an interesting phenomena, interesting to say the least, a phenomena that is going on in, and again, 2018 culture and in the last two or three years in particular, where there's a lot of commentary that we see on social media about different issues, but it's so easy to type some words rather than actually do something, right? And I think there's a, a kind of a mis, misnomer, at least in some cases, people think that typing something on a social media post is actually doing something. And the reality is those comments, that commentary isn't really making an, a genuine impact on the issue at the end of the day. It's somebody who actually steps up and does something that, that takes action um, to actually begin to enact change in that particular situation that's what comes to my mind when I think about a leader. What's your what's your thought on that? The, the the typing words versus actually doing something about it. No, I absolutely agree. It's funny that you say that because one of the one of the things that we'll talk about later is one of my points is take action. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's interesting. But no, it's exactly right. I when I lead and I'm asking people that maybe are working for me or with me, I say. I always tell them, you can talk all day long, but I want to see something happening. It's the same thought process. You have ideas and you have things that you're thinking about and you write them down, but until you actually put them into practice and you're actually doing them, it, it's all just talk. There, There's no action that's on it. Yeah. So, you know, there's nothing there's nothing really happening of value. Well, and, and there's obviously there's nothing wrong with conversation. You and I are doing it right now. I mean, there's something to be said for conversation for the sake of, well, in some cases, at least I'll speak for myself. I know it's an opportunity for me to kind of think through or work out my thoughts. Sometimes I'll do that out loud or maybe in the form of a, you know, a post or a text to somebody or an actual conversation in person or maybe in the podcast itself. I mean, honestly, this, this whole podcast has been a project in and of itself for me to learn to be a better conversationalist, but it's enabled me to be able to work out thoughts uh, through the process as well. But that's, that is only one part of the process and unfortunately, it seems as though there is more of a focus these days on talking versus actually doing something about it. It's wonderful that we have empathy. It's wonderful that we're starting conversations about issues that, that need to genuinely need addressing, but talking is only part of it. We have to then go do something about it. And uh, so I love that definition of leadership, taking action when nobody else is. That's, it's really, really beautiful. I, I see a, a, a nice, um, maybe not a t-shirt, but a, a social media post or something, a quote post coming up somewhere sometime soon. But I really love that. And I appreciate you sharing your perspective on that. Shifting yet again, a different direction. I know that we talked about a favorite piece of gear last time when you were on the show. I wonder if you'd share another favorite, whether it's a, a camera or a lens or a camera bag or, or whatever it might be, an accessory of some kind. What's another favorite piece of gear that you're really into these days? Yeah, absolutely. Um, most recently, so this year, I decided to do something a little bit different with my wedding photography. And I started doing a same day edit where I would show a handful of images that I've taken throughout the day, edited them, um, and I share them with a the client at the reception. And so with that, my 
favorite piece of gear has been my Camrette Lyra backpack because it holds not only my gear, my backup gear that I need on the wedding day, but then it holds my laptop and my iPad. And I can just bring that with me where before I had that bag, if I had to bring my laptop with me, it was in its own bag and it was in its own case. And then I had my own gear bag. So I felt like I was a, a pack mule hanging onto all these things. Yeah, yeah. Trying to come out of a wedding, and and now it's great because I don't have a million bags that I need to carry, and I can take it, take just one trip at the end of the night to my car, and I'm done. So I've been loving that. Okay, so tell me the name one more time of the bag. You said camera. What was the last part? Cam Camret. It's like K A M R E T T E. Camrat. Okay. All right. We're going to link to that in the show notes as well. I'm so curious now. I want to quickly look it up on my phone. On, is it on Amazon or something? Or maybe one of the... Uh, no, um, they don't sell it on Amazon. So okay. you can just go right to their website. Okay, perfect. Um, and I think it is just camrat.com. Okay. Um, they right. don't have a lot of items. They really just have uh, three things. They have the backpack, a handbag, and a camera strap. Um, and the backpack comes in three different colors. Uh, mine is the black one. I think I love it a lot because it's vegan leather, and my husband's a vegan. So, but it still holds up very, very well because you know sometimes you you know you wonder if some of those products hold up pretty well. But yeah, this has yeah. been an amazing backpack that's held up really well. They have amazing customer service as well. I had an issue with one of mine, and I actually got it replaced, and they were just fantastic about it. So I definitely highly recommend it for the quality and everything. It's it's a very sleek, modern looking bag because I know sometimes one of my biggest issues was I don't want to look like a I'm. I'm Asian for anyone that is curious, but for uh, I don't want to look like that Asian with a camera that looks like the tourist all the time. <laughs> okay, you know, so I I always strive to find uh, bags or equipment things that I can carry around that aren't going to make me look like the average tourist coming from you know, visiting or whatnot. So, so for me, it's important to have a modern slick looking bag that, yeah. um, you know, really just looks normal. Now, well, and there's something too, that's nice about having a bag. I'm, I'm a little bit obsessed with this a little secret obsession, I guess, uh, a bag that fits everything in it. I am very much a minimalist and I'm very proud of the fact. I mean, I, t I was just telling somebody yesterday, I can work from anywhere in the world with my laptop and my phone. And, and that's what I need really probably 90% of the time. But then for these podcast episodes, or if I'm going to create some video content, I need you know a camera and I need some of the, the gear, the, the microphone and the audio recorder and so forth. And right now I'm using a bag called uh, the Low Pro Fastback BP250. Uh, and more specifically, the AW2. It's a very long name, but it's a it's a they call it a travel ready backpack for DSLR and 15 inch laptop and tablet. I'm looking at the the listing on Amazon right now, uh, but this is a backpack that I've had for a while, and it and it does fit the laptop in it. In addition to the just gobs and gobs of cords and dongles and accessories, uh, as well as my SLR lenses, mics for the uh, for the audio recorder for the podcast two mics actually, the cords, the audio recorder itself, um, stands for the mics. I mean, literally everything that I, it's basically my business in a bag and it's only 75 bucks on Amazon. So it's a steal too for kind of an all-in-one bag. There's one that I've had my eye on. And, and again, this is kind of a weird thing. I know it's kind of my secret obsession, but there's one that I made note of the other day and I have to pull this up really quick because I was so impressed. It's by Think Tank. And oh, actually it's, it's called SKB, 
cases. It's an iSeries 3i 2011 7. I'm just listing this out loud in case those of you are, are curious. We'll link to this in the show notes as well. Uh, but it has a think tank photo divider in it. So it's basically like your what are those those cases that they used to do the commercials of where they, like trucks are running over the top of them? Uh, oh, pe- Pelican yes. Pelican cases. Yes. So it's it's like a Pelican case outside or shell. It's got r- wheels on it with a handle so you can wheel it through the airport. It's small enough um, from what I understand to be able to actually stick in the overhead compartment. But then it's got the dividers and sections for putting your camera gear in there. And I think you can even fit your laptop in the, the uh, I might be able to fit the laptop in the, the upper compartment, the case or the lid rather that you close down. So it, it seems like an even better, maybe all in one solution. I may have to get at some point, it's 230 bucks. So it's a little bit more, but there's something about being able to just carry everything that you need for your business with you without having to take up so much space that I just love. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that bag and we'll make sure, like I said, to link to that in the show notes as well. And, and thanks for sharing that. Now we're going to, I, I mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast, it's tough to, to find topics that, that are especially unique when we've done so many episodes. And of course, we have so many more coming up. But I love that we're going to get into something today that is really different as a whole than any, anything that we've covered on the podcast as of yet. There's a phrase um, that I'm going to go ahead and throw out there that you brought up, which is an art director. The idea of a photographer being an art director, or maybe the other way around, an art director who happens to be a photographer is the way that you worded it. And I, and I love this, this thought process. We're going to dig into this a little bit. But a reality that we face as wedding photographers, I've certainly been there. I'm sure many, if not most of our listeners have been there, is that we get to a wedding that is at a not so attractive venue or a wedding day that is just absolutely chaotic. Um, you know, maybe there is a not a wedding coordinator there that's overseeing things, or there is one, and they're just not managing it well. It's just not a dream scenario as a photographer, and it's easy to get caught up in that chaos and then feel like this just isn't the ideal scenario to get beautiful images. Have you particularly or personally experienced this, Colleen? What's what's that experience been like for you? Well, this happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's it's never ending, you know, and, and sometimes you think what you're, you think, oh, I'm just starting into weddings, I'll eventually get the better weddings, and I'll eventually get the better venues, and I'll eventually get the better pictures, because it'll be prettier when yeah. I get better and yeah. have more of my ideal client. But the thing is, even if you find your ideal client, you can't always, you can't always change the way things are. You can't always change the venue, but what you can do is control what you can control. So if the lighting is bad, go somewhere else, then relight the location. If the location is terrible, move or reframe your camera's perspective. Unattractive ballroom, you know, change your angle, um, change your lens choice, use unique lighting, try to do things that you can control to control the situation that you can't control, if that makes any sense. It, it totally you know, makes sense. And I have to yes. interject here because this is a good life lesson and a reminder for me as well. It's, it's something that I've also been reminded of in the last little bit, last year or two, this idea of focusing on what we can control in the situation rather than getting carried away with those things that aren't necessarily in our control. It's all about perspective, right? In fact, I literally have a, a tattoo on my my left arm here that is the Japanese word kakushin, or the word for belief. And it's interesting how 
literally everything that we do in a day is driven by a belief or series of beliefs, right? I, I sat down on this chair right now that I'm sitting in for this podcast interview, believing that it's going to hold me up. Fortunately, that belief was accurate. But beliefs carry over into literally everything that we do, including our perspective. We believe about a particular situation that it is, in this, in this context of our conversation, too chaotic for us to get a different picture. That is the way that we are then going to function in that situation, and it will translate to a very, certainly a reactive mentality versus a proactive one that you described, Colleen, where you're looking for the best opportunity to make something of the scenario. You're, you're inst- you instead believe that this particular situation um, is just too terrible to do anything about, and the pictures are going to be terrible, and that's that. Um, it's all about the way that we frame our belief around that situation that can then translate to whether or not we manage that and ultimately get good pictures from it or don't. And uh, so I love that you you paint that picture of how perspective plays so significantly into whether or not you're able to make something of that scenario. Exactly. Yep. But I interrupted you. Please continue. <laughs> no, no, that, that was about it. I mean, just ultimately, there's plenty that we can do and there's plenty we can control. And it's not to say that it only happens to newcomers, you know, veterans that I've seen photographing weddings for over 10 years, they fall into this trap too of feeling like they can't do anything. And we just have to step back and say, okay, what can we control? And then go forth and control what we can. (laughs) It's true. Well, and again, it harkens back to our conversation earlier about the significance of taking action, right? Uh, And and ultimately, it it is easy to, in in this scenario, in this situation, to react negatively, complaining, whining about how terrible this, this situation is or was, rather than figuring out a way to make the best of it. And I know that you suggest a photographer should be an art director. So instead of just going in with the mentality that I am a photographer, or you know, some photographers would say, I am an artist, and I am there to capture or to, to create beautiful art from this wedding day, you're suggesting that they be an art director that happens to be a photographer. Can you, can you define what you mean by an art director? Yeah, absolutely. So just for a little bit of background, um, for for some time, I worked in a creative agency for a little bit, a creative ad agency. And so I learned some pretty amazing things. And it was interesting when I learned about the role of an art director and realizing that I had actually been, I've been doing this in small scale photo production sets that I've been doing within my business. And I had actually been doing this art directing thing, not even knowing what it was actually called. But in general, an art director is they're that person that sets the overall style and artistic vision for whatever project they're in charge of. So in an ad agency, they would be the person that sets the sets the style and artistic vision for an ad, a commercial, a photo shoot, a video shoot, or whatnot. Um, they are the person that chooses how to best represent that mission or that concept of the project visually. And they choose what to use, when to use it, what to take out, what completes the concept, what isn't needed, what is needed. And they also talk to the clients and get the vision and help bring it to life. And I see this as no different than what a photographer, what a good wedding photographer should really be doing with their couples. Okay, so this is interesting, and, and I may play a little bit of devil's advocate here because what I'm, you know, what we're talking about is almost this idea of walking into a situation that we can't control, that we didn't know would be the case ahead of time. 
So when, when, and what you're suggesting in this definition of, of an art director is that somebody is setting the style and vision. So are you suggesting maybe that there needs to be some pretty extensive conversation with the client ahead of time so that the photographer, and that's of course very proactive in nature, uh, so that the photographer then doesn't walk into chaos later? Or are you suggesting that they walk into that chaos and they somehow are able to project that style and vision onto the chaotic situation? It's a combination of both. And that is part of some of the key elements that I have as far as I have four main things that you should really be paying attention or how to really okay. act as that that dual role of art director and photographer. Yeah, let's just dig into those things. I'm curious of what this actually looks like on a very practical level, because I, again, I, this is probably a very relevant conversation to many, if not most of our listeners who are event or wedding photographers, maybe even a, a, a portrait session for that matter too, because some portrait sessions can just get way out of hand <laughs> depending, yes. depending on the subject or subjects. So yeah, let's, let's dig into the, the kind of the four ideas, the key elements of an effective art director from your perspective. You know, this idea again of being an art director who happens to be a photographer at an event wedding or maybe even a portrait session as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, an art director, you know, they're typically responsible for the overall vision, the concept, determining what kind of art to use, what kind of design. But I mean, obviously, it's a wedding day, we're not looking at design, but overall look and style for what this event is. And they review everything, they talk to the clients, they get the artistic approach. So the four main things that I say are vital is preparing your client, mindfulness, resourcefulness, and then taking action. Okay, cool. So I'm, I'm taking notes here as, as you're talking. So let's just take them one by one. Um, you said preparing the client, mindfulness, yes. resourcefulness, and then taking action. Okay, let's go back to preparing the client. What does that look like? So preparing the client is talking to the client ahead of time about their artistic style and vision for the day. And this includes talking through timelines because that's also part of what an art director does too, is talk through timelines and expectations. So you talk to the timelines, ensure that you are getting or that they are getting the things that they want and you are setting the stage for them. You almost are. And and the thing is, it's not to say that you're going to backpedal all over like a wedding planner or whatnot because ideally a wedding planner might have a good idea of timelines and whatnot but they're not responsible for the the overall visual aesthetic of what is going to translate onto a photograph at the end of the day right so a lot of the times you have to take that that authority to talk to the client and go through the timeline, figure out what's important to them, start thinking about how you're going to set the stage for these important moments, asking a lot of questions, knowing exactly where they're getting ready, preparing them ahead of time of expectations. If they know they're getting ready in the basement of a church and that basement of the church is not so pretty, make the suggestion, can you get ready at home? Can you get ready at your parents' house? Can you get ready at the hotel you're seeing at tonight instead of at the church? And then we can just go to the church afterwards. They're just going to go along with whatever is normal until you, as a subject matter expert, you go and you ask them, can we do this? Or you make suggestions. Yeah, you know, and I'm thinking too, as, as you're describing what it means to prepare the client, I mean, first of all, it's very proactive in nature, playing on these ideas that we were talking about earlier. So I love that. Managing expectations is so important on multiple levels if you're going to run an effective business. 
And that's particularly true, I think, even as you sell the service. I mean, if somebody comes to you looking for wedding photography, and again, I'm just going to use wedding photography for an example here. These concepts are likely applicable to pretty much any type of photography where you're going to be photographing a subject. But uh, if you clearly communicate on your site that you not only offer the services, the skills as a photographer, but even let them know ahead of time that you're going to include as part of those services a consultation uh, it, I mean, you could get really creative with it, in fact, and, and begin to use a phrase like art director. Help them understand that when they come to you, that you're, they're going to use your services not only as a photographer, but you're going to, to lend that expert perspective, as you talked about, Colleen, to their wedding day to help them create the most beautiful wedding day possible. And oh, by the way, that's going to also translate to really beautiful pictures, because if if they don't realize that you offer that service, there may be a little bit, bit of apprehension. Um, you know, and, and maybe this also is important if, if we talk so much here on the podcast about developing relationships with a wedding coordinator, if you're a wedding photographer, because it, it will likely lead to a lot of business. It's a good thing if you have a relationship with a wedding coordinator that you work with actively um, to also communicate heavily with that wedding coordinator, either to let them know that you're going to offer the service to these clients or communicate those ideas to the wedding coordinator and collaborate with that wedding coordinator to guide the client um, so that if you are photographing an environment, like you said, I mean, I've there's no telling how many churches that I've photographed in that just were not the prettiest things in the world. And the reality is that, yeah, I mean, you can make them work at the end of the day, but if you can do something like suggest, all right, instead of getting ready at the church where the ceremony is, if you get ready at your mom's house uh, and, you know, they just renovated that house and it's absolutely stunning and there's this gorgeous window light and they've got, um, you know, beautiful property out back. And if there are options like that, that you might want to take advantage of those. And then if that's going to be the case, you may need to build an additional half an hour, 45 minutes into the timeline for the day in order to accommodate that. But you're going to be so much happier as a result and on and on and on. But all of this is managing expectations on multiple levels. Again, letting them know that you offer the service and then ultimately helping them understand that in order to get the pictures that they see on your website, these are the things that they might do with their timeline in order to to get that type of imagery. And, And I love this very proactive approach. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, not enough people do that is all. <laughs> well, it's true. And, and, you know, we've talked about this, it seems like a, a good bit lately here on the podcast. It's the idea of communication, proactive communication. You'd think that would be the norm in running a, a business. And um, I mean, I, I know that I still see opportunity with photographers edit. We've been in business for 10 years to continue to improve our communication. We should always look for opportunity to effectively manage our clients' expectations or potential clients' expectations, and then communicate, maybe even over-communicate a bit throughout that process of onboarding and then booking that client and then taking care of that client, you know, providing the, the finished product to that client and potential follow-up after the fact, even depending on the type of business that you're running that could translate to other business down the road. But over-communicate, manage their expectations effectively, do so proactively and this is what we're talking about when it comes to preparing the client. So this is the this is the first point, preparing the client. Uh, when we're talking about being an art director who happens to be a photographer, that's the first step. The second step you mentioned was mindfulness. Talk to me a little bit about what you mean by that. So mindfulness is just paying attention to who's around you, what's around you, being able to anticipate things. An art director really sets a stage for everything. They put everything into place to tell the story as visually appealing as possible that fits within the vision of the day. So for example, if you know that one of the really important moments for the bride is seeing 
you know, the bride seeing her dad and dad seeing her daughter for the first time that day, then pay attention. What's around you? What, what scene is going to make this a lot more impactful? How can you make this, this emotion, you know, for her, she might think that this is this grand vision in her head that this is going to be very emotional, right? And and so setting the stage, choosing a place, being mindful of where you are, maybe choosing a different location that's going to enhance that grandness that she had visioned inside of her head. So if she envisioned a grandness of the first look with dad, then go find a location that's going to help build that scene together. And it's going to make it feel even more emotional than doing it in the basement. Right. Yeah. And, and part of, again, that mindfulness, that, that awareness, awareness was the word that I wrote down as you began to describe what that meant to you. Uh, if you've had the conversation, the proactive conversation with the client uh, for the sake of preparing them, but part of that conversation led to certain awareness of what they're looking for, right? So then that can translate, first of all, to the the scouting that you do. I mean, I, I remember when I was shooting weddings, I would show up to a location and basically walk the property. And again, I was, I was shooting a lot of weddings in the Chattanooga area that um, we're at locations that weren't the most scenic in the world. So you're kind of looking for locations with the best background or the best light and knowing those for quick reference later on so that when you get to that portrait session, you can quickly move there, get the images that you need and move on. Uh, so there's a certain a- amount of awareness that comes from th- the communication again ahead of time. But then that translates to scouting for the locations to match the communication, the conversations that were had about the vision that this client has. And that's really important. But mindfulness or awareness, uh, this is a really good point as well. And then you, you mentioned resourcefulness. What does that look like? So resourcefulness is, for one, you don't always have to use everything in every situation so literally. You know, there every, there's a lot of things that are around you. Just the other weekend, for example, I was at a wedding and the bride's details, I was photographing them. I placed it on a chair next to a window and I realized that there's too much shadow on the other side. It was really falling dark. So instead of thinking, oh, I'll fix this in Photoshop later, I looked around the room, saw that they had catered in sandwiches and there were these cardboard boxes that were white that the sandwiches came in. So I just stacked them on top of each other for height and I made a makeshift reflector. You know, I mean, just simple things like that. Looking around you, what you don't have to use everything so literally. Move move things, change things. If you don't like it, yeah. change it. If you don't like the plastic bridal hanger and you didn't bring one of your own, look around the room. Is there a hotel hanger that would work better? Is there a pretty chair that you can lay it on or the bed? Is that a, a prettier place where you can just lay it instead of hanging it somewhere? You know, thinking ab- about things like that. If your prep space isn't pretty, you know, take the details somewhere where it does look pretty or, or make something pretty. Use things that are around you grab things that are around you you don't again you don't have to use everything so literally you can be creative and be resourceful with the things that are around you ugly green walls for example like i've had (laughs) neon green walls in a getting ready space okay if you have absolutely nothing to hide that wall and you really have no other options at all grab all the bridesmaids make them line up and make them be your wall you know, make them be your backdrop. So that way when you're shooting, you know, you have something that isn't neon green and choose a different focal length that will assist you with that too. So it's a combination of just being resourceful of using the things around you and not taking everything so literally. Yeah, that's really good. You know, and, and this is honestly, it's it's really good um, 
<laughs> suggestion or advice for somebody like myself who honestly tends to be, as much as I am a, a wedding photographer, I've been a wedding photographer, I was for about 10 years, and you do learn to find kind of the best of the scenario in order to get a, a decent picture, it's easy to get stuck in a box and to think, I, I like the way that you describe that, to think literally. And uh, there's a book that this reminded me of when you were talking about this uh, called Lateral Thinking, Creati- Creativity Step by Step. And it's, it's a guy named Edward de Bono, who is the uh, the author. He's an, it, and I'm, honestly, I'm not even sure if he's alive anymore. He was quite a bit, well, I think he was probably in his 70s, maybe in the 80s, the last uh, videos that I saw of him. Uh, talking about related topics as well. But he has written a number of books about thinking. And this particular book addresses, I mean, it's it's almost counterintuitive, the idea that you can outline how to be creative, because a lot of people think that being creative is something that just kind of comes naturally. It's a natural talent that's ingrained in you, and it just happens. Or you wait and, and you look for inspiration, you wait for inspiration to happen. But he actually outlines how you can strategically think creatively, and he makes various suggestions. One of them that, that still stands out in my mind is to look at something backwards or opposite the way that you normally would. If you turn it upside down, in essence, or maybe in some cases, literally, you can gain a different perspective, which might lead to a different result or a new idea. But we'll make sure to link to that book in the show notes. But I, I do love that. I mean, again, you're going to be stuck in some situations that aren't the most aesthetically pleasing and learning how to capitalize on a different focal length, whether that's macro or a really long zoom, to use a color a colored background that you might not think initially would look really beautiful, but again, with the right focal length could, you could take advantage of that. Using lighting in order to kind of get rid of an ugly background. You talked about the shadows in the background earlier. In some cases, that might be detrimental. In some cases, it might be good because you might have a background that's really not attractive. And if you adjust the exposure for whatever it is that you're photographing, whether it's a detail or the subject, and it naturally drops the background off in the background so you can't see whatever that ugly background is, that's that's where you're, again, taking advantage of that situation and being resourceful. There's so many different ways that you can do that. I think one of the ways that you can, in, in addition to learning how to think creative creatively in a systematic way, as I was suggesting, um, certainly looking at other photographers' work for reference. So you begin to develop this almost kind of subconscious library of reference images in your mind uh, of ideas that you can go back to if, if you need, run into a situation where you need something like that. But then a lot of practice. And, and you know, a great way to practice this would even be to, to force yourself to, to do a shoot, maybe even at home or at a friend's home, where, again, you may not be faced with the most beautiful of backgrounds, something that you would naturally put in a portfolio, but learning how to look for something beautiful or learning how to create something beautiful from a not-so-ideal scenario, learning to be resourceful, it's so important, and I'm glad that you bring that up. Let's go to the last one, uh, and that is the idea of taking action. So I'm curious what you mean by this. Is this kind of a, a throwback to our conversation earlier, people that that kind of sit in that reactive mentality, just whining and complaining about a bad situation instead doing something about it? Absolutely. That's exactly what this is. You just need to take action. You ultimately, you're the subject matter expert on all things wedding when it comes to the wedding day. More than likely, you've done this more times than they've gotten married, right? I mean, I'd like to think so. Uh, Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) So unless there's someone there that has also been to hundreds of weddings, 
that's it. That's you. So you are that person. You have to take charge. You have to tell people where to go, when to go, how to go. You know, if you see things that are distracting, move it. And you see something that's not right, fix it. And the thing is, I think sometimes people get really overwhelmed. They look, they get into a room and they see it's totally chaotic and it's a total mess. And they're like, I can't do this. Like, I don't know what to do. And they just feel stuck. And they're like, well, this is what I have to deal with. So, so be it. Well, the thing is, you don't have to do it alone at all. I, I've gone into a room this this past weekend, and the guys getting ready in room was a hot mess. Everything was all over the place. It wasn't that big of a room, and there was way more guys in there that really should have been in a room. So it was really cramped and crowded. And I literally stood up and I said, "Hey, guys, you know, did the teacher clap? Clap your hands and say like, get their attention, and say, hey, guys." I need your help. I need this area of the room cleared out right now. And this big, heavy couch that has a pullout bed in it, I need this moved to the other side of the room. And they just looked at me and went, oh, okay. And they got to work. <laughs> you know, but I, 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 I can picture this um, because it's, it seems like, I mean, especially if you've already begun to develop a rapport with the people that are, especially the family members, and of course the wedding party, they're attending the wedding that day, or maybe again, those who might be present at a photo shoot or otherwise, if from the very beginning, you're proactively developing a rapport with those in attendance, the idea of then asking them for some help with something is gonna be so much easier. And I know a lot of photographers would say, well, I'm an introvert, and I, I just the idea of talking to somebody like that, I just can't imagine. But the reality is you're a photographer. A photographer requires engagement with the other human beings. And so it would be it would be helpful, first of all, to begin to understand the psychology that drives that so-called introverted tendency or those tendencies and begin to address those on your own personally. But then also just accept the fact that you're going to a wedding day or you're going to an event or you're going to a portrait session. You're going to be engaging with other human beings. Go ahead and just put yourself out there from the get-go. Be friendly. And that's all I'm talking about here is just being friendly, being kind, engaging in conversation that goes beyond just the wedding day, asking them how they're doing, that they travel from so-and-so, what's your day been like, what's your week been like, and engage them in, in genuine conversation that lets them know that you actually care about them as a human being. And then when it comes time to ask them for, for a little bit of help, you know, to, to move a bed um, or to clear out of a room or, hey, would you mind going and getting so-and-so from the wedding party? They're back at the bar again and we need them for the picture. Whatever it might be, it's not going to be a stretch and it'll be so much easier. Um, again, when I was at this wedding, uh, I was second shooting with my, my good friend, Thomas Flint, who we've actually had on the podcast uh, a couple of times now. Uh, just about a month ago, um, it was definitely that dynamic. And Thomas is just a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant example of somebody who, first of all, just genuinely cares about people. And that translates to the way that he engages with his clients. And so that then translates to the overall experience, uh, hopefully for the clients themselves, but then certainly for us as the photographers, because we're like family to them uh, and not even that far into the wedding day. They feel comfortable with us. And the idea that we're there, of course, with a camera and then may happen to ask for their help is really not a big deal in the end. So I, I love that proactive mentality and not hesitating to, to ask those in attendance for a little bit of help. Not a bad suggestion either. This is wonderful. Well, and I think the thing with like introverts too is you have to remember because I, I'm an extrovert, but you have to remember that this is your job. You you have to be assertive in the things that you want and, and ask for the things that you need. And you are the person that people are looking to, to be the professional to get this done. This is your job. So 
you know, whether you want to talk to someone or not, if you treat it as, well, you know what, right now I'm not, it's not because I don't want to talk to people. It's because my job is to tell them what they need to do. And when you reframe it that way, you get a little bit more courage and a little bit more confidence to go ahead and ask for things and say things because you have that authority. You, you've already built that authority with your title, with who you are, with your being the person that's art directing their wedding day. You know, I, you, I like that. I like that. You, so, so you take that assertiveness because you've already earned it. It's in within your title. It's within your role. It's your job. Yeah. Reframing though. And, and this again goes back to what we were talking about. I think it's a wonderful way to kind of conclude our conversation today, but the idea of reframing the situation for the sake of adjusting your perspective and ultimately the, the belief that I referred to earlier is it's really, really huge, especially when it comes to facing psychological apprehensions or fears like, like, the idea of introversion. And I think I've told this story before on the podcast, but I, I would have naturally classified myself. I mean, if we're using kind of pop cultural definitions about uh, introversion, I would certainly have classified myself, uh, classified myself as an introvert uh, a number of years ago anyway. I, I think the, the problem with those labels is it becomes very limiting because people will take on that label and just stop inside that box and get comfortable inside that box. And then kind of take of a reactive uh, or a switch to a reactive mode or mentality about this this idea that they're an introvert and because they're an introvert then you know x fill in the blank i i'm not comfortable doing this or i don't want to do that and it's very very limiting uh, if you instead take a more proactive approach and and begin to understand or explore and then understand what is the psychology that is leading to that so-called introverted tendency it, it, it can be extremely enlightening. You develop a certain le- level of self-awareness that can then be empowering. And as you said, um, Colleen, to, to reframe the situation, you'll be able to reframe the situation in such a way that you'll feel enabled, empowered to be able to engage with clients at a wedding, at a portrait session, at an event. For me personally, I, I was exhausted, basically, not to be too, too dramatic here, but going to public events, particularly photography events, you go to like WPPI and to these parties and, and they're very, very loud and it's crowded with lots and lots of people. And I'd go into a situation for, you know, maybe 20 minutes or so, maybe 30 minutes. And then I just kind of feel exhausted or maybe even annoyed and, and need feel like I need to step out and just take a breather and then go back in and go back at it again and kind of repeat this process. Long story short, what I realized for me was that while, you know, again, that the average person might label that introverted, you know, somebody who doesn't get energy from being in environments with lots of people, um, they're apprehensive going into that environment, they're not as comfortable having conversation there, they don't like that loud environment. Um, instead, they're, they're comfortable on their own and in quieter environments where they don't have to engage with a bunch of people that they don't know. For me, as I, as I took a step back and I began to explore what was leading to these feelings of apprehension and exhaustion from being in these types of environments, I realized that I was trying to be somebody that I wasn't in that environment. Now, what you may find as an individual photographer may be different, to be clear, but for me, the point very simply is that there, is, there was a psychology that was leading to that so-called introverted tendency, and for me, that was this, this effort at trying to be cool, uh, for lack of a better description, to be a particular persona for the sake of being in the public eye. While I was there, I needed to behave in a particular way. And, I, and ultimately, I was uncomfortable, but I was uncomfortable because I wasn't just being myself. So rather than trying to be something that I wasn't, which was ultimately exhausting, which led to this need to kind of get out of the room and take a break, I focused on being 
myself and, and more specifically focusing on individual in-depth conversations. Like I referenced earlier, like we have at the United conference and I'd go into a room now and I just focus on engaging with one person and going beyond the surface level conversation. And it's amazing now that that loud music in the background from the band or the DJ, it kind of goes away and able to able to focus on the conversation at hand. And it's extremely enjoyable. So it was an adjustment in mentality and to play on this idea of reframing and being proactive, do take a look at what is driving the belief system, if you will, the psychology that is driving the mentality that may be keeping you back, maybe inhibiting you, limiting you as a business owner and address that, develop a certain level of self-awareness. And it may just be the thing that you need to feel more empowered to engage in a scenario, particularly as Colleen is describing here, to take charge, to be proactive and again, more specifically, preparing the client, developing a certain level of mindfulness, uh, resourcefulness, and then ultimately taking action. And, and this is, I know I've, I've probably talked too much today, Colleen, but you really make it easy for me. That's I really okay. appreciate the, the conversation and for inspiring thought and helping our listeners as well. Will you share again where our listeners can find you online? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my website is just www.colleenbees.com. And again, there's a blog that's on there where you can listen to more of my personal story and just what's what's going on on a day-to-day, I guess. On Instagram is also Colleen Bees. I usually do um, a little bit more active on stories than I am on my feed, but ultimately it's a fun place to go to. But those are the those are the spots. Perfect. We'll make sure to link to those in the show notes. Uh, this has been a, a wonderful conversation, Colleen. Thank you so much for sharing. And everyone make sure that you go to bocapodcast.com. Check out those notes that Haley so wonderfully puts together for for you. Lots of resources from today's conversation. Check that out at bocapodcast.com. Have an absolutely wonderful day. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca Podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. Thank you.